0: Chronic illness has a way of stripping both patient and caregiver of our sense of personal control. But in our natural struggle to regain it, could we be doing more harm than good? When should we give in and let go? This week, Diane shares her thoughts on the art of saying yes to our aging parents' requests, even when it involves pole dancing. Is that right? hard to raise. Helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. So sometimes we have to listen to what our parents tell us and realize that they may be telling us the truth and it may be something that they really want. So we have to resist the urge to always want to tweak and fix how they're living as long as they're safe. And even then, if they're okay, you know, physically and mentally, um, we have to just kind of let them be. And if they tell us this is what we want, or this is what I want, then we kind of have to let them be. I was visiting a client in a nursing home this week, and she's 92 years old and she had had a stroke and you know she had weakness on one side and she had the stroke several years ago and at the time her children felt like she can't be home by herself. Um, Her spouse I've come to find out had died like 10 years ago so her daughter had called me and said you know my brothers and sisters we all talked and we want to do something. We feel guilty that she's in the nursing home. We think that you know her life is probably miserable, and she's not being honest with us and because she says she wants to stay there, so I said, well, you know what, do you, what does she want, or, and what are you thinking?" And they said, "Well, we want to take her out of there, but she can't live with one of us because we don't know how to take care of her, and we work, and you know we don't know what to do, but we don't want to leave her there, so we want to see you know what she tells you. They said, because, you know, when we go to visit her, we leave there and we're depressed and we just have to do something. So I said, you know, she said to me, well, we'll all come while you talk to her, you know, my brothers and sisters. And I said, no, 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 you know, let me go by myself because she may not, she may very well say the same thing she's been telling you, but she may tell me something different. And if you're there, you know, she may not say what she really wants to say. So, um, you know, so I went and I did ask the daughter though, before I went, I said, you know, I'm a little curious. So, you know, she had the stroke, so she probably was in the hospital and, uh, rehab, you know, did did the, did the doctor say that she had to go to a nursing home or, you know, did she have a discharge plan or did they give her any choices? Did they give you any choices? And, you know, because I'm thinking, you know, why? was one of the choices you know letting her stay in her own home with a living if you know she couldn't be alone by herself and you know the daughter said well the doctor never mentioned anything he just said you know she has to go to a nursing home and i said well you know what did your mom say and she said well you know my mom always listened to whatever her doctor said and you know she holds the doctor, he's like God to her, you know, she holds whatever he says, in high esteem. So she just said, okay, and she did that. So she said, and at the time, you know, we didn't think anything we felt like, okay, the doctor knew what he was doing and that's where she had to go. So, you know, I went in to talk to Gladys, that's her mom. And she was sitting in the garden of this particular nursing home. It's a very nice nursing home. Um, And, you know, she was reading. And so I asked her, you know, well, tell me about your life here, you know. And so she started to tell me, you know, all about the different things she does. And so she said to me, you know, this is a good time in my life. She said, people make me food, and they'll deliver it to me. Um, Or she said, now they have a dining room and I can go to the dining room. She said, you know, look at this garden, I sit here and it's peaceful. And I read, you know, I can read. And she took me to her room. And she said, look at my room. Now she's but she has a private room. And she said, you know, I'm by myself. And she says, I have friends. And sometimes, you know, I don't feel like I want to go to the dining room and but then they come and they get me, you know, and they help me sometimes if I need help. And as I was there, you know, there were, there was a friend coming in and saying, come on, Gladys, you know, let's go play bingo. So, you know, and then her friend realized, you know, she had a visitor. So I, you know, I'm talking to her and I could see that she was genuinely being truthful with me. She wasn't, you know, just telling me something. She, you could say, see, she was comfortable. She liked where she was. And she said to me, you know, I know my kids, you know, want me to move, but she said, I don't want to, I don't want to change. I'm here. She said, of course, you know, when I first had the stroke, I wanted to be home. You know, I didn't want to have to sell my home and move to somewhere else. She said, but now that I'm here, I'm comfortable. And this is where I want to be. She said, I have no desire to move. So, you know, what, you know, her, her children are thinking, oh my gosh, she must, she has to be miserable. She has to be putting up a good front and, you know, and what we might think isn't acceptable or we could never do may be fine for our parents. You know, um, I tell people, people say to me every day, you know, oh my gosh, how do you, how do you just constantly deal with elderly? Well, first of all, I, I deal with the elderly, but I also deal with their children. I deal with a a lot of different things. But it kind of makes it interesting for me because there's no single characteristic that can describe an older client, you know, an older mom or dad. Each person, you know, is different. They have a different view of what it means to be old. So that's why, you know, you hear everyone saying, well, you know, as as children, we have to know what, what our parents want or what they feel or what they, they want to do because in a crisis, it's difficult because sometimes, you know, we make a decision if we have to make a decision for them or we make a decision because we think it's a good decision at the time and it may not be exactly what they want or they would have decided. Now, for Gladys, you know, the decision that was made, it worked out for her and it's hard because her children are thinking she's not telling us the truth. She can't possibly be happy there. And, you know, I'm sure they're worried about, well, you know, we worry about our parents think I don't want to be a burden to our, you know, so they may say to us, well, this is what I want. But you kind of know they don't. You know your parents and you know, they may not be telling you the truth, they may. And we, you know, we as baby boomers, we have different expectations, we have different experiences, we have different preferences in you know, as we age than our parents do. You know, we actively we we want to live forever, we want to participate in our treatment, we search everything online, you know, we're gonna do everything. We try to try to find every possible avenue, different different things to make us healthier or stay healthy and you know doctors usually focus on the diagnosis and the treatment and treating a disease you know and you know our parents they at this time they usually care about just you know maintaining their quality of life they're not necessarily preoccupied with death as we are you know we're thinking we have to keep them alive forever they're they they're relatively you know, accepting that death is inevitable, and they want to make the most out of the rest of their life. You know, my mother will say to me, you know, I'm going to die one of these days, you know, you have to accept that you have to think about that. And I'm like, I don't want to think about that. I'm not thinking about that. You know, I I always say, she goes, but you have to and I'm like, no, I don't, you know, so they're, they're thinking about it, and they're accepting it. So when I told, you know, Gladys's children, her answer, they were like, looking at me like, hmm, They wanted me to find a different answer, you know, and I told them, I said, you know, I talked for a long time, I saw she has friends, we were outside, we were inside. And she was genuinely content. And happy where she is, you know, she was open with me, I could, I could see that I could feel that, you know, there's some older people that it's don't ask, don't tell, they're not going to tell me, you know, or they're not going to tell me at first. And, you know, so when you're talking to your parents, you know, you have to, sometimes it's awkward you know you have a concern so you have to try to relax and because if you relax and you're comfortable and you're having a conversation you know in a comfortable environment when they're you know they're okay and they're happy and you're just trying to find out some information you know if you're relaxed they'll be relaxed and you know I've, I've been with kids who are like yelling at their parents, you can't stay here. You know, you can't do this. This is what you have to do. And you can't do that. You know, you, you, you just can't, you, you can't be, have a, you have to have a non-threatening approach. And that's hard because there are parents. You know, I always say try to tell them a story about somebody else or something funny or somebody else, you know, with a similar circumstance. And, Um, you know, or some information you found, maybe there's something they can, you know, I found this, or this is what, you know, Mary's parents did, you know, this is what they decided to do, you know, they were kind of in the same situation. A lot of times... You know your your children, their grandchildren will be able to talk to them sometimes better than you can. You know that bond that a grandchild has with their grandparents, and sometimes it's easier to for for them to tell their their grandkids something than you. You know, sometimes I'll say to my father, you know, Grandpa told me this, and he'd go, I didn't know that about. You know, so you have a di- they have a different kind of bond. So sometimes they're they'll be more honest with their grandchildren because they're afraid to be honest with you because they don't know how you're going to react as a child. Sometimes the toughest clients that I have to deal with are when you have two parents and one of them is taking care of the other because they have that marriage bond, you know, that's sacred. They have that for better or worse, in sickness and in health, part of that marriage vow. Not that we don't have that. Not that we don't take that seriously. But you know, for me, you know, if something happened to my husband, obviously I'm going to do everything I can. But I'm going to find professionals who can help him, and that's how I'm going to help him. You know, I'm going to find the right, the right people to help him, and I, th- I'm saying to myself i'm doing the best job i can because i'm getting him the right type of care and the right people you know when when our parents when one when their spouse becomes ill there's all these emotions that we don't think about and there is there's also what we don't think about is the the spouse the ill partner sometimes has those same emotions as the spouse who's okay and we don't think about that. You know, we don't realize they're going through a lot of the same emotions. So, when we come back from the break, I'll tell you more about that. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. She was totally taken by surprise. And although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her 6-foot-4, 250-pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day. She was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless-looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful, man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National park rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000 pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you, in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. You're listening to Parents Are Hard To Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. And We have some new listeners from Kingston, Jamaica, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Welcome. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy telling you all the little bits and pieces that I can. can. And please keep those emails coming in because that helps me tell you and help you. So we were talking about the emotions of... um, you know, a husband and wife. If a husband becomes ill and the wife is uh, wants to take care of him, and vice versa. So, what are some of those emotions that we really, you know, don't don't think about at all? Shock. You know, especially if it's an illness. You know, life has been going along, and then suddenly, you know, you find that one of them has an illness. So, you know, it can come as a complete surprise to both of them, and they both could expect that maybe after treatment everything will be back to normal and they're both and and the person will be back to normal and maybe they will but maybe they won't there's denial you know this has to be a mistake you know the person who's ill well I've always been healthy and the spouse he's always been healthy you know fear you know for both of them what does the future hold worry the person who's ill I I don't want to be a burden for my wife and the wife is saying I don't want to what will happen you know to my husband anger you know it's not fair why me and the spouse why him grief and sadness you know the person who's ill saying now you know I'm not I'm not going to be able to do my share and then the person who is okay is saying, I'm not doing enough. Guilt, uh, this is a big one, and you don't think about that. But, you know, the the person who's ill is saying, you know, we can't do what we planned, we wanted to travel. And the person who isn't ill is saying, you know, I'm healthy, you know, and, and why is he ill? And they feel guilty discouraged. They're both discouraged because maybe, you know, there's so many ups and downs with an illness. And if it's an illness like dementia, I talk about dementia a lot because I see a lot of, you know, dementia patients, and there's so many spouses or children caring for, for dementia patients, Alzheimer's patients, and it's such a difficult disease. And, the, you know, they're, they're, the treatments, there aren't many, you know, the medications that don't work, and the illness is prolonged. And you know you're watching someone deteriorate, and at the same time that person can't, you know, possibly say or or tell you, you know, what what they're thinking or what's wrong. And it, it it's just it, it's a horrible you know it, it's a horrible disease. So with that you know there's the person both people are overwhelmed. You know the person who's ill you know, my wife can't do it all. But I don't want someone else helping me. I don't want someone else taking care of me. And the wife, I can't do all this, but I have to. So we don't think about all these emotions going on in their mind. So that's why I always say, you know, when someone becomes ill, we can't just look at the person who is sick or has the dementia or the alzheimer's or the cancer we have to look at the whole situation is there a wife you know is there a husband is are there children who's in the home you know we have to look at everything because this all interplays so um, I, I went out to a patient, um, the other day and the wife, you know, there's a wife who's caring for her husband who has Alzheimer's and he fell at home. She was taking care of him. So he went into the hospital and then he went into rehab. And so he came home and she expected him, you know, coming home that he was going to be just as he was before he went into the hospital uh, and rehab. And what happened in rehab was, you know, he, he, they didn't, you know, they did some physical therapy, but they didn't walk him as much as he had been walking in the home. He was walking in the home. He was pacing a lot, but he was walking. So, um, you know, her children had contacted me and they want her to get help. They could not get her to get help. And what happened is she was trying to help him and she hurt herself. So, um, you know, I went into the home and I, I was, you know, between, uh, me and the, the visiting physician. You know, and the nurses, the visiting nurses, we were able to get her to agree to some help in the home, not the type of help, you know, ultimately, I wanted her to have a live in caregiver so that she did not have to, you know, do any of the care. But she didn't agree to that. She did agree to, you know, different hours in the day, in the day and in the evening. She said she wanted some time, you know, alone. And, of course, at night, once he was put to bed, you know, she wanted to be home with him alone. Was that, is that the best? No, but at least we got that far and we got her some help. So, but, so now what she wants to do is she wants to tell everyone who comes into the home, what they need to do, you know, and that happens, you know, because she's his wife and she knows him best and she wants to tell, tell him. So, you know, uh, for instance, he he has depends on on at night, and so in the morning, you know, those aides have to get him up. The care plan says we got to get him up. We got to get him in the shower. We have to, you know. And she'll say he doesn't have to get in the shower. We, you know, you can just wash him. And you know, she's thinking, okay, you change him and you you wash him, and there's no more smell, you know, and we're good. But you know we try to explain to her, you know, we don't want him to get, you know, there's skin infections. There's different things he could break down, you know, and these are things she's not thinking of. So then she'll say, you know, he has physical therapy coming in the home and, you know, care plan physical therapy it's saying you know we're going to walk him we're going to exercise him certain times certain times so many times in the day and she's saying no we have to just keep him walking we just have to keep walking him you know where we say to her no he has to rest you know he can't just keep walking no you know we have to he's got to keep his legs moving yes he does but he can't continually do that and we, we're going to exercise his upper body as well. No, he doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. He doesn't have to build muscles and be a muscle man. We just have to get his legs going. No, we have to build his upper body strength. We have to, you know, get him where he can lift himself, can get out of a chair. So, you know, I I said to her, let's just go. We're going to go just sit. Let's you and I sit. We have people taking care of Dan. Dan's in good, you know, in in good hands. So... I said to her, you know, your children, are you happy with, you know, your children wanted to make sure that Dan is getting the best possible care and that you have some time for yourself because you've been taking care of Dan and, and you hurt yourself. So do you are you happy with you know the doctor that Dan that that we got for Dan oh yeah he's wonderful I like him I said yeah and how about the physical therapist he's great he's great with Dan and I said well how about the home care company you know a, and the nurse that comes out and and the home health aides that come out they're all good they're all good yes I'm very happy and I said oh okay I said because you know we got Dan home all these people we got him home and now we got to keep him comfortable we got to keep them safe yes I know that I said okay so but when they're here we got to let them do their job we got to let them do their thing because you trust them you're happy with them right yes I said. So when your friend wants to come and take you to the movie, you got to go. Well, no, I can't leave Dan alone. I said, you're not leaving him alone. You're leaving him. When your daughter wants to come and take you out to lunch, you have to go. No, I can't leave Dan. I said, you said you're comfortable with the people here. So she said, yes, but I can't leave Dan with them. I said, well, why not? Well, because I can't leave him. I said, yes, because you're with him all those other times that these people aren't here. And while they're here, they're going to help make it easier for you when you're alone with Dan. I said, you know, it's tax time. Who does your taxes? And she said, well, the accountant does them. I said, oh, I said, how come you don't do them yourself? She said, well, I don't know how to do them he's the professional i said yeah he is i said so you don't tell him how to do his job do you she said no i said okay i said and does he come to your house to do it? she said yes i have everything there i said and you, what do you do oh i leave him alone i said ah I said, and what happened when Dan fell? What did you do? I said, did you pick him up? No, I called 911. I said, oh, what happened? And she said, well, the ambulance came and the EMTs. I said, and did you tell them how to pick up Dan and what to do? She said, no. I said, ah, and what happened? She said, they took him to the emergency room. I said, ah, and what happened in the emergency room? He saw an emergency room doctor. I said, ah, and did you tell him what to do, how to calm Dan down or what to do, what he should do? No. I said, ah, so you trusted all those people, all those professionals. I said, she said, yes. I said, so now I know we're just in, we're in your home. I said, but think of it like the accountant, like the ER doctor. These are professionals. These are professionals. Your children called me to as a professional and to get professionals to help you. I said, and that's what we did. I said, yes, they're in your home, but you have to let them like the accountant, the ER doctor, and the 911 people, the emergency, you know, EMTs, you have to let them do their job because that's what these people are here for. Because if you don't and you want to do everything and tell them how to do everything, you're, you're going to hurt yourself even more. And what's going to happen? Who's going to be Dan's wife if you're not, if you're not there? I said, that's your job to be Dan's wife. Now that doesn't mean if you're not happy with a professional that you, you don't tell them. So you don't try to correct it or you don't choose another professional, but You just have to let the professionals do their job. So I think I made the point. I think she understood because she's looking at me like, ah, okay. You know, and sometimes because we're in someone's home, maybe they think they still have to control everything. But the, the husband and wife... That's a tough one. So it's tough for you as children to see that and to see mom is tired taking care of dad. And it's tough for them to accept help. And it's tough for us, but we'll find a way. So now I wanted to tell you what's new in the news. Some things maybe you haven't heard of. Haven't heard some bits and pieces. So benzodiazepines they're another prescription drug epidemic. You may, not, you may not have heard that this is another drug ep- epidemic, but you have probably heard of the drugs. Ativan, Valium, Xanax, Clonopin. those are drugs to treat anxiety and insomnia. And there's so many people taking them, but few people realize how dangerous they can be, that you can get addicted to them and die from them. I can't tell you how many people I talk to and they're like, I got to go home and take a Xanax, you know, or I've taken three Xanax today. And I'm like three Xanax, you know, people, you you, you, people aren't aware that this is another big problem. So, these benzodiazepines, they ease anxiety and insomnia when they're used intermittently and for less than a month. But if they're taken daily for a long period of time, they stop working and they can actually make the anxiety and the insomnia worse. And what's happening is people are becoming addicted and they're dying or long-term use of them can also contribute to cognitive decline and accidental injuries and falls and there are a lot of elderly on Xanax you know and what happens is they take one and then you know their body gets used to it so then they wind up taking another so this is a very real problem and I don't know if you've heard about that also one more treat for you okay so there's a care home that's treating its elderly dementia residents with pole dancers So that happened in the U.K., and they're under fire for organizing this inappropriate activity for residents, some of whom have dementia. So the care home said, well, we're trying to broaden the horizons of our patients because our patients and their families are requesting more modern-style activities. So the residents were offered a choice, and they opted for local pole dancers to come and do what they do over tea and biscuits so these were talented athletes from pole dance factory that came out and put on a show to music from the 50s and 60s so of course there's people saying well this is inappropriate for a care home to do so you know it's not exactly the entertainment that they're thinking residents would want or should be encouraged but like i said in the beginning Sometimes we have to listen to what our parents tell us and realize that's what they want. So if they want the pole dancing, let them have the pole dancing. So, my survival tip of the week. Make as many memories as you can with your parents, because think about it. Our memories of the experiences we have are more important than the experience. You know, like you have a holiday dinner, everybody's together, but then it's done in a day. But the memory and the pictures, those are there forever. So make as many memories as you can. If this week's show was helpful to you or you know someone who would be helped, please tell them about it. They can subscribe to the show using iTunes. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio. You can find links to the topics we just talked about in the show notes for today's episode, episode 48 at org. Please remember I'm here to help you, so please, if there's something you're struggling with, email me at diane at org. You can reach me through my website, com. You can follow me on Facebook at Parents Are Heart To Raise Podcast, and I tweet at Jersey Eldercare. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music, LLC, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Parents are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. Thank you so much for listening. See you again next week. (laughs)